This is Top Floor episode 95. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 95. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. I'm talking to Stephanie Smith, CEO and digital matriarch of Cogwheel Marketing, about who her agency helps. Stephanie, there are no shortage of marketing agencies in hospitality. What sets Cogwheel apart? Our specialty is really working with branded hotels, primarily ones that operate as franchisees under Marriott, Hilton, IHG, and Hyatt, including all of their soft brands. How do you replace a field marketing team from the brand or do you? Every company is in a different journey on their digital marketing. Depending on where ownership or management company is, we're nimble enough we can meet them where their needs are. If they have somebody on their team that's doing digital marketing, we can certainly complement them given where their skill sets might lie. What about focusing on direct bookings versus OTAs? We like to look at it as a total online presence because, yes, we want to drive as much as we can for our book direct strategy, but we also have to realize that OTAs have huge marketing budgets that it's really going to be hard for a hotel to compete with. So we use those tools when it makes sense. We have to really look at the data and say, okay, this is what's happening and how do we adapt all of our digital marketing strategies to what's happening for that hotel in that market. Welcome to the show. Omri Shalev is one of those rare chief technology officers who is as good in front of the microphone as he is behind the computer screen, a trait he attributes to an international upbringing in Tel Aviv and Mexico City, as well as his time in the Israeli army. As co-founder of Rico, Omri seeks to make the hotel procurement process less about text messages and juggling supply chain issues and more about a streamlined marketplace similar to what a consumer experiences on Amazon. Today, Omri and I are going to talk about what it's like to build a startup in the hospitality industry during a global pandemic. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and other curious people who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Peter, and Peter really has quite a long description and paragraph before he gets to the question. So basically, Peter says that he's really excited about artificial intelligence and all of the possibilities that come with it. 
And he's been experimenting with chat GPT and Dolly and has been reading everything he can get his hands on and listening to all the podcasts about it, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that he's noticed is that people keep warning you that chat GPT is not always accurate. So if you're asking chat GPT to like, you know, help you write an article or an essay or whatever that you have to go back and check the facts because they're not necessarily always accurate. So this leads us to Peter's kind of question. And Omri, I have to be fair and say that this may be a little bit of a stretch of a question for you. So we can just talk it through and figure out if we think there even is an answer to this question. But what Peter is wondering is... If ChatGPT and other artificial intelligence tools aren't necessarily accurate right now, on the one hand, but on the other hand, people keep talking about how great they are for writing code. How can we trust that the code works without going back and rewriting all the code? Like, how can you tell? if the code works. Now, I am not a coder, so I have no clue even how to begin to answer this question. You're a software developer. I thought you might have some sense of what a good answer for this would be. What do you think? So I think that, uh, first of all, AI is definitely here to stay. Uh, If we look back a little bit of the revolutions that we had in the history, for example, the Industrial Revolution, where it basically replaced us physical muscles in a way in the factory itself. Here we're talking about something a little bit different, something that replaces our mind, our thinking, our creativity. So this is a huge thing that has been happening in the to us as human beings. I think it's a great era to live in and experience that. Regarding to the questions about how can we know if the output of the chat GPT is correct or not, I think this is one of the biggest questions AI in general has because the output can be really good. However, the journey for the model, the train model, all the machine learnings behind the scenes and all that, some of us don't really understand all the things that the uh, AI or the model went through to get us to that question, to that, to, to that answer. So I think this is a very interesting one. Uh, with code, actually, it's very simple because you just run the code and if it works, it works. And if not, it's not. Uh, however, it comes to more of crucial questions. For example, instead of going to the doctor, you can ask ChatGPT, hey, I got this and this. Is it okay? Should I go check myself? And then he says, well, it's an emergency. You have to go to the hospital right away. But you have no idea how the model got to this question, to this answer. So how can you really predict if it's, should I go to the hospital or not? Or for example, there's a lot of uh, questions about the legal things. For example, with autonomous cars, right? You're getting a lot of artificial intelligence in the car. And if you do a car accident, who should I sue? Should I sue the person, the car? Should I sue Tesla? <laughs> should I sue? I have no idea who should I sue over here. So there's a lot of legal questions and ethic questions over artificial intelligence. Um, and hopefully in the near future, we'll see the government getting a little bit more uh, into the legal aspects of things to make sure that us 
are protected, but at the same time can utilize this amazing technology. So I have to push back on something that you said, because I agree that the industrial revolution replaced our muscles, but I don't know that AI is replacing our creativity. What I think it's replacing is the rote part of our brains, the part of our brains that has to remember things that we can look up or the part of our brains that has to do calculations that a calculator can do or whatever the case may be. I don't think... Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that AI can at least yet put together disparate ideas and disparate pieces of information and experiences and create something completely new and unheard of yet. What do you think? So I'll try to challenge you a little bit and and say, we think that the AI just got introduced in the last year, but definitely this is something as a trend that we see for many years now. Let's say you're in your car right now and you're with your Google map or Waze, the Israeli startup, um, and you want to turn left, but Google map tells you to turn right. You're probably going to go with Google map because you say you're smarter than me. You can see in a satellite, the entire traffic and all that. So I'm going to choose right now. This is simple, right? What happens when you go on Netflix and they give you the top 10 shows? You're probably not going to dig in and deeper other than, than those 10 shows, right? You're going to go with their algorithm, what you like. I'm going to take it even more to the extreme with Tinder or any other dating app, right? They even tell you what kind of wife you should have, right? <laughs> what you like, what you prefer. You prefer uh-huh. blonde, you prefer uh, black hair, whatever it is. So I think that AI and the entire idea of algorithm choosing for us, this is not something new, but we are just getting to become more familiar with uh, with this kind of technology. So I think... It does replace us a little bit more than just calculating uh, like the calculator does. And it brings another level or layer of creativity into play. And us as human beings, I'm not sure if you saw Apple's new uh, power uh, uh, glasses, uh, Vision Pro, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. You can see that we're turning our entire reality into a space where it's very digital. Everything becomes uh, a part of... Uh, Apple's uh, algorithms, Apple's technology. Even when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you put those glasses and you start recording the entire environment and you get those decisions based on what you see and what they presented to you. So I think uh, it's a little bit more than just simple computations. Well, we shall see. In the meantime, speaking of the world surrounding you, you spent time as a teenager in Mexico City, which is a place I love. And you learned both coding and English and Spanish there. This led to working as a software engineer at multiple companies, including Microsoft. What are some of the types of software engineering projects that you enjoyed the most? Uh, that's a great question. First of all, Viva Mexico. I really love Mexico. It's a beautiful country. And, Me too. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. I think other than Rico, some of the projects that I really enjoyed was taking part in Microsoft, uh, building their their Azure marketplace, basically, uh, it taught me a lot because it was not only just doing small pieces of code, it was taking the entire 
kind of platform that they had over there. It was a project that was led by the Seattle team and it was brought to Israel. Uh, and basically the idea is that we will try to make everything work nicer uh, and better. So I had an opportunity to touch a lot of the small components, see millions of dollars flying from one side of the world to the other. So I think that was a very um, exciting project uh, to join. I also had another one uh, back then when I started at, at Armin, uh, which is part of uh, Samsung, where they were doing updates over the year of autonomous cars. Uh, so imagine that you wake up in the morning and you have a complete new software in your car. Uh, this is pretty much the future, I think. Instead of you doing some recalls and sending your cars for checks or software checks, you will get a brand new software just from over the air. And all the updates take place over there. So it was a very interesting project to attend. Military service is compulsory in Israel, both for men and women. And it has been since 1948, which is something I learned when I was researching to prepare my questions for you. As part of your military service, I know you said you met the two most important people in your life, your wife and your co-founder. We'll talk business in just a second, but I want to learn more about this. What was your experience like in the Israeli army and how did you meet your wife there? <laughs> That's a, a good question. I think that... The Israeli army is, is something very special. And when you travel in the world and you meet people your age, you figure out that I, I feel a little bit more mature than you. Um, and it's not by a chance. When you get into the, the army and you're 18, this is the first place that you don't have your parents to just help you with whatever you, you're getting stuck with, right? Usually in school or college or whatever, where you, when you have a problem, the first thing that you do, hopefully, is call your parents and try to get, I don't know, any uh, solution for your situation over here. But with the army, you're on your own for the first time. You cannot call your parents and say, hey, I'm stuck in the middle of the desert over here. I need you to come rescue me. It's only <laughs> you um, and the people around you, which were all new people. So you just met them a few weeks or a few days ago. Uh, so it just gives you this mentality where you, wherever they throw you, you need to make sure that you um, get along with the people over there and make sure that you survive uh, in a way. Uh, I was not a fighter, so I was not into the combat part or in the front line of the things that the military was doing. I was more at the back part of it, the computer stuff things. Um, so for me, the army was an amazing adventure. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and for my wife, it's funny, but she was the person who was in charge of the discipline in the base that I was in. Uh, and probably some of the survival skills that I wanted is to get in touch with this woman because she'll make my life a little bit nicer while I'm going to be here in this, in this base. Uh, so this was our love story. Um, <laughs> you were trying yeah. to cover your back, huh? Yes, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> Henrik Shimoni, your co-founder and CEO of Rico, comes from a hospitality background. Since we're going to talk about your company, can you fill in some of Henrik's hotel background so that this coding background that you have makes sense when we get to the hospitality part? 
Yeah, for sure. So Henrik started, uh, his path was probably very clear for him because his family has the chain of hotels here in Israel next to the beach, really nice one. Uh, so the trajectory for Henrik was, I'll finish the army, I'll go study hospitality and management. And then as his grandfather wanted to make sure that he will learn all the bits and bytes of the business, starting from selling popsicles in the pool, all the way to running one of their properties uh, and eventually the entire chain. So his entire career was basically starting from a 14 years old teenager who grew up basically in the hotels, every Friday dinner, everything was in there uh, to eventually moving between the housekeeping and the reception uh, and also the food and beverage area, which we'll probably talk a little bit when we get to Rico. Um, so his entire life was in, inside hotel. Uh, so I don't think there is anyone who can understand hotels better than Henrik. Got it. So you met in the army. You were friends before you started the company, before you decided to start Rico. Had you always thought about starting a company together or was it like you're, you know, hanging out? shooting pool one day and had a flash and decided to start this business? I always like to say that um, we were lucky. But what's the definition of luck? If you were talking about it, then luck for me is when an opportunity meets readiness, right? So when you have the readiness to do something in your life and you get a right opportunity, then you have this kind of match. And this is where when luck happens in your life. And I think this is the, 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 the case over here. Um, we never thought about opening a business together, but we were both very ready for our next thing in life. We learned a lot in different paths. He learned about the hospitality industry and I learned a lot about the coding and engineering. And when we had, we both had the readiness and the opportunity came and we were friends along the years and we talked about many things. And when this opportunity came, we just clicked and we felt that it was meant to be. Gotcha. So let's explain what Rico is. It's a purchasing startup for hotels. Will you give kind of a brief description of what makes you unique or valuable to the industry as a whole? Yeah. So I think what we wanted to bring to the industry, which was never before, is first of all, transparency, good relationship between buyers and suppliers. And when I say buyers, I mean hotels and nursing homes and golf clubs and Whoever buys a bucket of ketchup or a bag of rice, a 30 kilo bag of rice. <laughs> uh, so those are the buyers, but also the suppliers side can be large distributors or local ones. We wanted everyone to play nice with each other because it's such a great industry that works in a very traditional way. So for us, it wasn't just solving it on one side. It was connecting them together in a platform that makes sense for both of them to work with each other. Uh, so Rico is not only the ordering part of things, it's also, it's a complete marketplace, uh, where both sides can play with each other, uh, can be transparent, can share data, um, and make the communication much better, uh, which was not the case or is not the case currently in this market. Um, uh, because even if you see some ordering platform where we have the ability to send an email to the supplier or a text through the platform, this is not what we do. We try to build something that is more, a little bit like Amazon, where you can sign up with your credential, see the multiple suppliers, get everyone to collaborate and play with you and, and order from you, uh, as a supplier, 
uh, and eventually make the entire kind of experience of purchasing easy and not like today, which can take us one or two or three hours uh, to complete. So let's talk about that because when I first learned about this company, I was like, isn't that how it works now? Like, what, how is this different? And I was very surprised to learn that it actually is quite different. What is the problem that this solves for hotels? So usually if you look at today's world, you see, first of all, the hospitality industry has a lot of shortage in labor. Uh, so sometimes you don't even have a purchasing manager to do all the procurement stuff. You have the chef. The chef needs to cook for 300 people the day after. Uh, but alongside his job, he needs to also do the ordering. Now, ordering doesn't end up with one like us uh, in the B2C world or private world where we have one grocery store that we go there, we buy the things that we need, and we're done. Chefs have five, six, seven. We even have cases where they have 20 suppliers that they work with on a daily basis, and they need to maintain this relationship through texting, emails, going between several websites, uh, calling sales rep, even doing sometimes cash and carry themselves, going physically to a place to get the items. So all this is very time consuming for a chef who needs to do many other things. Uh, not talking about all the manual work and all the pile of papers uh, that just pile up um, and eventually lands on the accounting table. Uh, so with Rico, the idea was to get rid of all those um, traditional ways of working and bring everything to the digital space, one-stop shop, where you can enter, see all your suppliers and more, and eventually uh, communicate through your mobile app or through our website. Does it help the vendors or suppliers with anything? Or are they just sort of like, who cares? We're here. Might as well distribute our stuff on this platform as well. This is very important because... When you build a marketplace, it has to be two-sided. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You have to make sure that the suppliers are happy the same way. Uh, we are not touching prices. You will offer whatever price you want. Uh, it's not our game. Um, what we want to offer the suppliers is a little bit more insight on what's working for them and what's not. If you are standing in delivery or have to truck because you have a lot of missing items, this is not a good practice for you. Uh, <laughs> we, we would rather to give you the information that you need, uh, or pick the right supplier. So it's going to be, it's going to maximize this profit on that specific delivery. We can even offer you payment solutions. So instead of getting your money net 30, you can get it the day after through our payment solution. So there are a lot of things that we can offer to the suppliers as well. Because again, if the suppliers are not going to be happy, it's not going to work. It has to be, uh, uh, solving the problem for the two sides. That makes a lot of sense. I, you've probably learned this in your journey so far, but I can tell you after many years in this industry that the hotel business does not always welcome change with open arms. What is some of the pushback that you've gotten about the idea of sort of streamlining the purchasing process this way? I think people are scared sometimes uh, with them getting replaced with, as you say, AI, machine, and all those fancy word. Uh, that's not the case, obviously. I'm here to make their life easier, not to replace anyone. So I think they feel a little bit scared. They're not very technological in some cases. Um, even though they can be very young, they're not technological, which is... It, it's not necessarily because you're young, you're a technological. 
it's, it really depends what type of industry you're used to, uh, or the manners that you used to work. Uh, so those are mainly the kind of pushbacks that we get, but we may get it in the first one or two weeks. And after they get used to the technology, you just fall in love. Like any other, uh, person who uses something for the first time, uh, and he's scared of it after it's like riding a bicycle, you see, okay, it's really easy. It, it clears my day. It makes me more time to do some other things that are very important. It makes me look better uh, to my boss. Uh, so eventually they understand that we're here to make them uh, look better, uh, do uh, a more efficient work and, and so forth. This sounds like a good time to take a break. After this, Omri and I are going to talk about disrupting a very traditional way of doing things and how time zones are my blind spot. Be right back. I'm chatting with Stephanie Smith from Cogwell Marketing about how her company helps branded hotels make the most of the marketing tools available to them. When do hotel owners or management companies engage Cogwheel versus working with a brand's internal marketing team? We help a lot of hoteliers with openings and conversions. And that's a big, strong push for a short amount of time. For a lot of different management companies, we're handling their paid media, everything from their advertising and Cody, Google, social media, search and optimization, all of those things. Something I hear from owners a lot is that the typical hotel digital marketing strategy is just about running OTA ads. How do you use that as part of your strategy without it being the only thing that you do? OTA ads kind of fall into that Hail Mary bucket. So a hotel comes to us in the middle of the month and they say, Hey, we're not going to meet budget. Then we're like, Yikes, the only tool in our tool belt that you can run to affect in the month is running those OTA ads. It's really important to understand the flywheel of the entire customer journey. People tend to focus on the transaction where people actually make the booking. And while that's important, you have to understand the entire research process, what happens before, during, and after the booking to create a complete strategy. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with some practical and tangible specific tips to try either in their businesses or in their personal lives. A few months ago, you announced a $10 million seed round of financing led by a couple of VCs. Do you have any tips for hotel tech startups that are looking to disrupt a very traditional market when it comes to fundraising specifically? Like, I don't think you have any competitors in this space. So how did you raise funds when you couldn't say like, Oh, here's somebody who's, you know, carved the path. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, um, the investors that you're looking for has to fit the visions that you have. Otherwise, it's not going to work because if you're going to disrupt the market and it doesn't matter if it's the hospitality one or any other space, you need to make sure that the investors that you have uh, right beside you uh, or behind you uh, understand the difficulties of doing a disruption. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to educate a market. 
but definitely if the investor understands that and he understands that at the beginning, you might have customers that are not willing to embrace your uh, product because it's not sticky enough for them because it's not doing uh, what you promised or whatever it is. They need to understand that this is part of the growing process of changing an entire industry because eventually the uh, amount of things that we can do to improve things right now is tremendous. We can have a lot of things to improve in the industry, the, its efficiency, uh, but you have to make sure that you find investors, they understand what your goals are and what vision and just stick with you in bad days. Do you think that you were a more attractive investment because you had already sort of made the leap to global reach? Like you are not just an Israeli company, you've gone global. Definitely. Definitely. I think that, well, Israel is a lovely country, but we only have around 430 hotels, uh, which is great, but not enough for uh, building an empire. Uh, in the US, <laughs> you have around 70,000 hotels. Uh, so it's a little bit more appealing, uh, for VCs try to, you know, not make 10 times on their money. They try to make 1000, uh, times on their money. So definitely this is something that helps you if you reach to a market, which is, uh, not only blue ocean, but also very big where you can scale and grow. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to the VCs. So speaking of being global, do you have any tips for doing business across time zones? And I have to tell you that there's a reason I'm asking this question. I'm a smart person, sort of, but I have a blind spot about time zones. I cannot memorize time zone differences. <laughs> so I have a big... I'm serious. I have a big chart on my desk that I check every time I'm working with someone in a different time zone because the number of times I've messed things up is innumerable. So now I just idiot-proof it. I have a chart so that I check because otherwise I will definitely mess it up despite being relatively intelligent. What's your tip? <laughs> Well, first of all, you have a lot of great tools nowadays that can really help you to do the kind of um, automatic transitions to the different time zone. If it's in your email or the way that you set your meetings, if it's with Calendly or all those tools which are doing great jobs in scheduled meetings and all that. Uh, I think in general, it's very hard. Uh, Israel and Miami or California is, is, is very far away. Uh, sometimes I get, if I'm in California, maybe one or two hours to talk with the people in Israel. Uh, it's very, very hard. And as, as the founder itself, you find yourself working in some ridiculous hours, um, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., just to make sure that everything is functioning properly. Obviously, it's not ideal and not sustainable, but you got to do what you got to do, right? Uh, so my tip will be to probably try to stay in the same zone and not spread too far away. But if it's a mandatory thing, then use the tools and get used to the fact that you're not going to get a lot of sleeps in the next couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the next, your next step, your next project is to create like an AI Omri that can be <laughs> your, uh, time zone proxy. So like, 
that can work for you in other time zones or something. That would be amazing. So we have reached the fortune telling portion of our show. Now is the time to predict the future so that we can see if you're right. We'll come back later and give you a grade and tell you if you've got it correct. What is a prediction that you have about the future of software as a service in the hospitality industry? So I think we're moving towards a world of um, technological solutions in the hospitality industry. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to... You know, we're talking about AI and a lot of great things. uh, But if hotels are not going to embrace any technology, they're just going to become museums, right? Uh, Because you have to take it to the next level. You have people joining your hotel, for example, young people who just finished hospitality and management in the university, and they're very techy, right? They're on TikTok, they are on uh, a lot of different platforms, ChatGPT and all that, and then they come to work and they need to work with pen and paper to do ordering and to do a lot of uh, other things. So you have to move forward, not only for the property or the business stake, but also for your employees, because you're not gonna have uh, people in your property working with pen and paper while they do everything so technologically and and, and so on. So I think that it's a must, uh, and we're seeing new generation coming into the property, more young people, and they are just asking for the change. Uh, so I definitely see growth in this space. That makes a lot of sense. If you could wave your magic wand and change one thing about launching a global company, and it cannot be time zones because we already talked about that, what would it be? Uh, um, well, time zone was a good one. Uh, <laughs> it will got me a few hours of sleep. Yeah. Uh, but maybe language, it's very hard for me. You, you could probably hear that I'm, 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 I speak English fine. I'm not fluent in the same way as I'm in Hebrew. And there's a lot of cultural differences in where we see things. So I wish if we're asking for something to just disappear, the language barrier or the cultural barrier, where we could just easily talk one language, understand each other properly, because I have so many great jokes to say in Hebrew that I cannot say in English. Uh, But yeah, I think language is (laughs) one thing that I would just remove completely from my day-to-day juggles. That's so interesting because I would bet you all the money in the world that 99% (laughs) of Americans are like, we're the biggest morons. Every other person in the world can speak three or four languages (laughs) and they sound like geniuses and we're Mm. morons. So I think you're doing just fine. Congratulations. All right. What is next for you and what's next for your company? So I think next to the company, we're starting to spread outside Florida. We started in Florida, a great place to start for, especially in the hospitality world. Uh, We're starting to scale a little bit outside, going to New York, going to California, Texas. Uh, There's some other great opportunity over there. Uh, One goal for me is just to stay happy, smile, enjoy the journey because it's a long one. It's a marathon. We are here to change a complete industry. I want Rico to be in every single property. I want to go on a vacation and I'm going to ask the food and beverage manager, what are you using? And he will say, Rico, that's (laughs) going to be the biggest win. Uh, but till then, I just want to have fun, enjoy, meet amazing people like yourself, 
and enjoy the journey. Awesome. Okay, folks, before we tell Omri goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Omri, what is the story you would only tell on the loading dock? Okay, so just because it's me and you and no one else is here. Totally confidential. Um, the first customer that we had, it was here in Israel. I went and I presented the product. And then I told him, hey, you have this nice chat over here that you can send basically any questions. And we have our team to help you with that. And he was so excited about it. So he started in front of me. Let's try it out. Well, the only person who was in charge of the customer service was me. And I was doing the demo to the customer. So what I did was I just took a step back. I just got the notification on my phone and I answer them and I say, he asked something about the price. I see that the price got, and I just say, Hey, well, we see that the price is changing. Maybe you should wait a day or two and it will get better. And he was so impressed. He was like, Oh my God, this is the best. Everything is the fastest response I ever got. And it was so funny. Uh, hopefully he's seeing it and he's laughing right now. I want to make sure know that, he, that it was you doing it. Like he couldn't tell. He, he didn't know. He couldn't tell. Oh, he was so amazing. excited that it was so fast. It's even better than Amazon. It's so quick. Uh, so yeah, I was, <laughs> it was, it was a funny one. I, I rest assured and promise you that since then we got a bunch of people doing the customer service and it's not me answering all the messages <laughs> that we get now. <laughs> That is amazing. Well, Omri Shalev, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners got some great insight into what startup life is like. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Thank you so much. I had such an amazing time and I appreciate you. I am finishing up my mini interview with Stephanie Smith, CEO of Cogwheel Marketing. Stephanie, on LinkedIn and in your newsletter, you use the hashtag always be learning, which I love and I wish I thought of myself. How does that play out in your company culture? This is both an internal and external mantra for our company. Internally, it's how we collaborate with our team members. It also comes into play with the people that we hire to be on our team. Externally, it plays out into the blogs that we write, the newsletters that we send out on their different educational journey. And if we can meet them where they are, then it's going to give digital marketing a seat at the commercial strategy table. You are really focused on making sure that you continually update the tools in your toolbox. What is the latest new thing you've learned about and implemented for Cogwheel Marketing clients? It's funny you talk about tools in your toolbox is a term that I use a lot with our team because in the digital marketing space, there's probably a hundred different things that you can do. There's been a lot of talk around moving into a cookie-less world. We've been doing a lot of testing with first-party data to run campaigns that are, instead of throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks, we've been more intentional about segmenting and understanding who we really want to go after. We've been testing device ID targeting so we can really understand where guests have been going, understanding their patterns, who's in market, and then playing that as a target people that have stayed at your competitor hotel to really bring awareness to a specific asset. 
to learn more about Stephanie's company, listen to episode 19 or visit cogwheelmarketing.com. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 95. Top Floor is produced by Don Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 